Well, welcome again, listeners, and thank you for joining us at Carmelite Conversation. You know, as I say and have said many times in the intro of the show, really the theme of this show is to try to introduce the importance and the depth of the Carmelite charism, the Carmelite order, and uh, all of the rich history that goes with that, and help us understand how we can apply both that history and the principles and the charism of prayer to our modern-day life. And one of the best ways to do that, of course, is to draw on the experience of those who have been in Carmel for many years, have seen a great deal of growth in the Carmelite community, and we're lucky enough to have such a person with us here this evening. My special guest this evening is Debbie Cook, who is a former president of the Secular Order of Carmel in the city of Cincinnati. Good evening, Debbie. It's great to have you here. Good evening, Mark, and good evening to your listeners. Thanks so much for having me, and congratulations with this radio program. It's a wonderful gift. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I have to say it's uh, a, a little lonely not having Francis with us here this evening. Francis Harry, of course, normally at our at our side uh, participating in the conversation. Francis is the way her son uh, uh, swimming this uh, week, and I, I think they're taking some vacation time as well. So God bless her and uh, safe travels, but really a joy to have you here, Debbie. Thank you. Uh, as we do each week, I'd like to invite uh, our guest to lead us in prayer. And so, Debbie, if you would, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O beautiful flower of Carmel, most fruitful vine, splendor of heaven, holy and singular, who brought forth the Son of God, still ever remaining a pure virgin, assist me in this necessity. O star of the sea, help and protect me. Show me that thou art my mother. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Mother and ornament of Carmel, pray for us. Virgin, flower of Carmel, pray for us. Patroness of all who wear the scapular, pray for us. Hope of all who die wearing the scapular, pray for us. St. Joseph, friend of the Sacred Heart, pray for us. St. Joseph, chaste spouse of Mary, pray for us. St. Joseph, our patron, pray for us. O sweetheart of Mary, be our salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Great way to begin us uh, this evening. Of course, we're approaching the month of July, which we all know is the uh, feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, July 16th. We're looking forward to that. Uh, and there are so many, uh, so, so uh, many graces and blessings, of course, that come uh, for those of us in Carmel at that time of year, as there are in a number of other times of year. November, of course, very rich for Carmelites. Right. October, a, a number of our saints represented in the month of October. But I, I want to begin this evening, Debbie, by just uh, letting you introduce us to uh, your experience, your journey to Carmel. You shared with me just before we came on the air that I think you've been in a Carmel now for a little over 13 years. I'm interested, and I know our listeners are, because we have so many varied experiences and and uh, journeys that may have brought both uh, uh, existing Carmelites uh, listening to us or those who are contemplating uh, joining Carmel um, for different reasons. Share with us, if you would, your experience. What brought you to Carmel that was 13-plus years ago? Surely. Um, And as you said, everybody has different experiences, too, and different ways of finding Carmel. Uh, For me, it didn't really happen until I was in my 30s. And it was actually the Holy Spirit 
I recognized that he was the one who was working through my husband's aunt, and she is a sister with the Congregation for the Precious Blood. Um, she was the first one who told me about secular orders. I had no idea they even existed. Um, even though I'd been through Catholic grade school and high school, I don't remember ever hearing about them. They were like a well-kept secret of the Catholic Church. Yeah, I, and... I agree. I, I don't think I heard about them myself until I was probably in my late 30s, and then uh, I won't tell the story, but the, I, I completely misinterpreted a co-worker who told me that he was a member of the secular order. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to take that, but nonetheless. Uh, uh. Yeah, so it, it, is, it's, it's, um, it is a well-kept secret, but it really shouldn't be, unfortunately. Uh, but at any rate, she told me about secular orders and you know the fact that uh, around the Cincinnati area where I'm from, we have Benedictine third orders, we have Franciscan, we have Dominican, and, uh, of course, Carmelite. And so, uh, and I thought, well, you know, that's very interesting. You know, she and I had had a number of spiritual-type conversations, and I loved talking with her about this, and I, I think she thought I would be interested in it. Um, but at the time, I had small children, and I was in the midst of raising them. Um, I didn't think I would be able to commit to something like that. And so she gave me the story of a soul by St. Therese to read, and um, and I did. I took it and I read it, and that book was so grace-filled for me. Um, it, it was as though, and I tell people, it was as though spiritual scales fell from the eyes of my soul, really. Yeah. Um, I read that book, and it just opened up a whole new world to me. I, I realized for the first time what a great love a saint could have for God and how the human soul could respond to the love of God. Yeah, I want to say something interesting. Uh, I do want to pick up on the uh, the theme of Therese, but just quickly going back to the comment about <clears throat> not <clears throat> excuse me, not understanding uh the the nature of the secular orders. It it was uh communicated to me. I I was reminded in fact uh that many of the secular orders that we know today actually began as lay orders. They were lay people who were looking for that deeper experience that you talk about. You know, I've had to respond to questions on occasion from uh, people who will say to me they may be involved in a different movement or so forth in the church, all all uh, admirable in their objective to deepen their relationship with the Lord. But they'll say, "How can you be involved in the Carmelites? That's a that's a monastic order, or that's uh, that's an ancient order, or um, you know that's for the religious. You're, you're a secular. How can you do that?" And I remind them, well, actually, the Carmelite order began with seculars leaving. Europe largely as a result of the Crusades and the, the experiences they'd had and, and escaping to the silence and the solitude of the desert, looking for that deeper experience right. of the Lord. The same is true, of course, for the Franciscans uh, and, and many of the other uh, orders that we today call secular. They began that way. But I want to pick up on, Therese, I, I um, had uh, asked you to think about prior to the, uh, to the program this evening a little bit who is your favorite saint in Carmel? I'm going to make the presumption that it may be St. Therese, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> well... <laughs> is, is, is that the case, or is there another saint um, that draws you in? I really can't pick a favorite. <laughs> I hate to say that, but there um, there are some, the top top ones as far as, you know, I'm concerned. Obviously, St. Teresa of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, she has such a warm way of approaching spirituality and love of God, you know, and she teaches us the affective prayer mm-hmm. of Carmel, um, where we relate to God through love, and we exchange love for love. Um, and such a she's such a practical woman at the same time. Right. 
Um, so I really love her because our lives are very practical. You know, we're not living up in the clouds. You know, we're down here on Earth, and we want to have we want to have this spirituality, a deep spirituality. But at the same time, we still have duties and responsibilities. I'm always reminding, of course, we just finished, Francis, uh, Harry, and I just finished a series on uh, St. Teresa. And uh, it, it is uh, astounding to realize, when you read her life, how much this woman accomplished. Even in the time that she lived, uh, you think about the limitations that were placed on her in travel and communication and so forth. And yet, uh, the number of, uh, of uh, convents, that, uh, the foundations, the, the number mm-hmm. that she founded, uh, the amount of communication that she had, her, her direct involvement in political affairs and right. uh, in, in, in uh, financial affairs and so forth. She was a remarkably accomplished woman by any measure, right. and yet she was living a contemplative life. Yes. Which leads me actually to my next question, and this is, I think, important uh, certainly for our listeners when we think about this idea of combining what we understand clearly in the Carmelite order is a contemplative order by its very nature, what does it mean that we say we are apostolic contemplatives? Yeah, um, well, it is kind. It, it, that name, apostolic contemplative, sort of unites the active part and the contemplative part. So we are both Martha and Mary mixed. We're together. That's together. And um, so we have a life of prayer, and as Carmelites, we do practice contemplative prayer with the goal of union with God, but at the same time, we have activities. You know, as seculars, uh, many of us have families, husbands, um, even some of us who are single have, you know, we have families, you know, relatives, perhaps an aged parent that we're taking care of and, you know, earning a living, all of these things that are part of secular life, lay life. And um, our prayer will in- help us to inform that, that life, that active life that we have. So the prayer that we practice is a foundation for everything that we do in our day. We sometimes become confused in thinking that uh, this idea of a deep, intimate prayer life with our Lord is separate and apart from our everyday life, when in fact, and we're going to pick up this theme in a moment, they are part and parcel, as you said, Martha and Mary become one. I read a wonderful reflection by St. Augustine, actually, where he talks about the same idea using uh, St. John, the evangelist, and and Peter. Uh, Peter is the very active member, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the first pope, of course, and leading the Church has a very active ministry, and John more the contemplative, more the right. representation of love. And St. Augustine expressed their com- uh, their combined mission as the apostolic and the contemplative. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. If you'd like to participate in the conversation, if you have a question for Debbie or uh, a comment, or you'd like to share your own experience of what brought you to Carmel, because there are so many unique stories uh, that bring each of us to this desire for a deeper relationship, Please feel free to give us a call at 1-866-333-6279. Again, that's 1-866-333-6279. Well, Debbie, let's pick up on this uh, this theme of uh, apostolic contemplatives, and I, I want to talk a little bit about 
where that came in the history of the order. Just briefly, let's talk about St. Teresa again. And, of course, St. John of the Cross, they bring to us this teaching um, of, you mentioned, uh, our seeking union with the Lord, our looking for deeper levels of prayer. You know, I think there are so many people out there who, despite their uh, genuine desire to uh, live a life of virtue and to fulfill their mission or to uh, live in concert with the Church and its teachings, however you might describe that, haven't yet understood or maybe have never heard about what John Paul II spoke about so well in late in his papacy, that there are really genuinely opportunities for progress in our life, in intimacy with the Lord, available to us today. We're not here to wait for this experience of life and living to be over before we deepen our relationship with the Lord. It's part and parcel of what we do. Exactly. And you said combining those daily activities is really um, a part and parcel element of deepening that prayer life, isn't it? Right, right. In fact, we can um, experience somewhat heaven on earth here. <clears throat> Pardon me. We, first of all, we receive our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist at every Mass. And right then and there, we have heaven in our souls. Because wherever Jesus is, heaven is there. And also, uh, Saint, well, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. She's not a saint yet. I, have, I hope she's she made a be. saint. I she hope will she be. will be. She's one of my favorites, too. Well. <laughs> um, you know, she, she um, really put forth, uh, really you know, emphasized the doctrine of the indwelling presence of the Blessed Trinity. It's such a beautiful truth of the Catholic faith. And, um, and, and because of that, uh, and because of our deepening union with God, and the Holy Eucharist especially, we can experience, we can have this foretaste of heaven on earth while we're here. And you're right, we're not meant to wait until we die to deepen that relationship with the Lord. Yeah, and we talked about this last week, actually, uh, Francis and I, late in the interior castles, um, Teresa uh, deals with this issue of what will this deeper intimacy bring about in terms of your ability to fulfill your responsibilities in your daily life? Will it somehow leave you with your head in the clouds and unable to function? Or might it, in fact, uh, make you a more effective parent, a more effective spouse, a more effective employee, and so forth? Um, and, of course, she says uh, we become even more committed, even more uh, responsive to the needs of others, even more uh, willing to fulfill our responsibilities in daily life, and we're given the energy and the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit to help us do that. A wonderful gift. You know, one of the benefits I think we have in Carmel, uh, handed to us by uh, uh, both uh, Teresa and John, but, but uh, as far back as St. Albert, of course, is the rule. Right. And coupled with that uh, later were the Constitution's Say a little something about the importance of, in a desire for deepening a spiritual walk, the importance of a rule or a guide for life. Right. Well, um, if you want, I can start with the rule of St. Albert. Let's do that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, as you mentioned earlier in the program, the first Carmelites were actually laymen, and they had been former crusaders who decided, <clears throat> who decided after they had won back Jerusalem for the Christians, they decided to remain in the Holy Land area, and they uh, went to Mount Carmel to live there in imitation of the prophet Elijah. 
So they lived there in silence and solitude. Uh, they practiced prayer every day. They said the psalms. Uh, they came together in an oratory, <clears throat> and they would um, have mass. Um, eventually, they got to a point where they wanted something more structured. So they went to St. Albert of Jerusalem, who was the patriarch of Jerusalem, and they asked him for a rule of life. And he asked, said to them, well, what are you doing? What kind of life are you leading now? And they told him. So he wrote up a very simple rule of life for them, one page typed, really, is all it is. And very simple, basically what they were already doing, uh, he just said it in writing, and so that's where it began. Um, and then, um, let's see, over the years, of course, it developed. They, they, uh, some of them went to Europe, uh, they migrated to Europe, um, and then in Europe they had to adjust to the European customs and so forth. Um, and the rule of life, I, and I'm, I digress here a little bit, but the rule of life uh, became, shall I say, mitigated. Some people might think of it as being a little watered down, eased up a little bit. And around about the 16th century then, along came St. Teresa of Jesus, who felt a real calling to go back to a more primitive Carmelite style of spirituality and living. Right. And so that's how she began her her uh, monastery, her first monastery. Yeah, recapturing mm-hmm. uh, the the discipline and the understanding of the importance of contemplative prayer. In fact, it's interesting. I, I, I've read and I'm putting together my own thesis, a paper on how the history of the order itself is a reflection of the individual experience of the Carmelite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, we aspire to, at some point, some catalytic event happens, we aspire to a deeper relationship with the Lord. It may be tragedy, it may be great joy, it may be uh, old age sets in and we realize we're not immortal, right. uh, whatever it is. And we, we seek to get away from some of our responsibilities and get closer to the Lord, the Carmelite monks. And then at some point, the world encircles us, as the post-Crusade activity in Jerusalem did, the monks, mm-hmm. and we realize we have to re-enter the world. But when we re-enter the world, we sometimes lose our way by becoming ingrained again in the world, as the yes. Carmelites did in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then it takes uh, a, a leader like a, a St. Teresa to come back and say, you've lost your way. Let me remind you where you mm-hmm. were. Where you were was a desire for an interior life, a recognition that your real existence is the interior existence, the experience you had on the mountain when you mm-hmm. sought the Lord in prayer. And he didn't absolve you of your responsibilities for entering the world. He actually was the aggravating force that drove us probably off the mountain and back <laughs> into the world, but with the difference that now we go into the world with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, every day being fed through that intimate relationship in prayer. It's right. A, it's a neat an- analogy right. as regards our individual experience. Yeah. Uh, talking again about the uh, uh, formation process, if you will, Tell us a little bit about the formation process for a Carmelite. So I'm somebody who's listening tonight, and I say, you know, it it sounds interesting. I'm interested in a deeper relationship. The Carmelite way may be the right way, and I would advise anybody listening, uh, pray significantly about the direction, because I, for example, uh, looked at a number of the different orders, and I won't tell the story now, as we'll probably run out of time, but uh, ultimately came to the Carmelite order, because I felt the need for deep contemplative prayer. I sensed even then that that was the, the means of 
deepening my relationship with the Lord. And so uh, I was drawn to Carmel. And there is a process of formation. I'm five years into it, Debbie. You're 13 years into it. Mm-hmm. Other members are 20 and 40 mm-hmm. years into it. Right. We never end formation. <laughs> we never end formation. And that's no. an important point, I think. But what is the... the uh, uh, what's in the early stages of development for formation? Okay, well, uh, if someone is, is interested in checking out a Carmelite, a secular Carmelite community, uh, they would first need to contact the president of that community, um, and the president would probably invite them to come to a visit. And so they would come to a monthly meeting, and um, we have visitors' classes in our communities. Uh, they would sit in on the visitors' class, they would receive a brochure, that outlines uh, our daily rule of life as Carmelites and talks about the mission of St. Teresa of Jesus, our charism as an order, maybe a little bit of history of the local community and so forth. And, um, and they will learn about those things. So they attend uh, the visitor's class for a few months or however long the president thinks they need to stay. And then they can apply for the period that we call aspirancy. Now, aspirancy lasts for one year, so 12 months. And during that time, they, they read, they learn a little bit, uh, just an overview of uh, the history of the order, uh, the Theresian charism, um, St. Teresa's way of prayer, uh, the saints of Carmel, and so forth, and, and how, Carmelite, uh, uh, how Carmelite spirituality fits in with the Church and that type of thing. Um, and then after that, they can petition to be uh, admitted to formation, formal formation, uh, as a member of the order. Um, if they're accepted by council, then they uh, advance to formation for the temporary promise, which is a period of two years. And, you know, that's something else I want to bring out, is that the call to Carmel is two-pronged. It's two-sided. There's an ecclesial call, and there's an individual call. So the Holy Spirit in, inspires within the person the call. But then there's also an ecclesial call from the Church, and the Church is... is the uh, local authority of the community is the council. So that, is rep- that represents the church call, the ecclesial call. So um, when a member advances, they are approved. They desire to advance. They petition council, and council must approve them as well. So they advance then to temporary promise, which is two years, and they study a lot of the works of St. Teresa of Jesus. And then they can petition again to advance to formation for definitive promise. Uh, and that's a period of three years. And then they study a lot of the works of St. John of the Cross. At the end of those periods of formation, then, they make their promises, and they then advance and definitive yeah, promises. It, it's important to point out, and we talked about this again just before the program, members of the secular Carmelite order are full-fledged members of the order of yes. Carmel, isn't it? It's they, important yes. to point that out. Yes. We have right. a secular role, and we've talked about that, our responsibilities, but it is every bit as much... Um, a, a genuine participation in the order of Carmel, yes. as are the monks who may uh, uh, be full-fledged uh, contemplatives or living behind monastic walls, or they may have teaching responsibilities or whatnot, but, uh, but we are every bit as much members of the order. And I don't say that with some sense of pride. It's a recognition that we have the responsibility to make a genuine commitment, hence the duration of formation. Yes. We're going to come back and pick up on both the elements of formation, some of the schooling and so forth uh, related to it after the break. And uh, please uh, rejoin us for Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.
Welcome back, listeners, to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Again, I want to remind our listeners, if you'd like to participate in the conversation, if you've got a comment or a question, or you would like to share your experience of coming to Carmel, uh, please feel free to give us a call at one 866 6279 Well, Deb, we, uh, we left just before the break talking about formation and the importance of um, spending some time not only in study and prayer and reflection, uh, receiving counsel. You talked about a personal call. Uh, I know, and again, I won't relate the entire story, but uh, I do remember in my own experience thinking uh, that it was time in my life in my early 40s, approaching mid-40s, to begin to deepen my relationship with the Lord. And uh, there had been some events in my life, as I think I think there usually are, uh, that led to an understanding that I needed to move in that direction. And, of course, ultimately I was drawn to Carmel. But even then, certainly today, but even then I had a sense that I was uh, being led more than I was initiating. Um, and I felt this call for, for deeper prayer. Prayer to me and sanctification was the word that kept coming to my mind. Prayer and sanctification uh, seemed to draw me to Carmel. I think it's important we share with our listeners um, the role that you articulated is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to draw us forward. And we need not think that somehow we have to analyze and and evaluate and matrix the criteria to make the objective intellectual decision. In fact, the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit, will draw us down a certain path, and what we really have to do through prayer and quiet and reflection is open ourselves to that prompting, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And it is a discernment process. Um, uh, you mentioned before our break, you mentioned about the, the length of the period of time of formation is seven years, I believe. Six, well, six to seven years. And that seems like a very long time to people who are just beginning, but there's a very good reason for that. Because if you're going to dedicate your life to our daily rule of life, our practice of Carmelite spirituality, uh, it is going to take that long for people to really decide that, yes, this is something I want to do the rest of my life. Um, and it, it just does. It takes a long time. So yeah. that's, a, that's what it is, all discernment. As important as it is, I think, to reflect and, and, and explain maybe uh, some elements of the formation, it's as important, I, I, I think, to help people understand what entering Carmel is not and what the weekly me or I'm sorry, the monthly meetings, Mm-hmm. are not. Certainly there's the benefit uh, of the meetings as regards uh, community and, and relationship and study and helping uh, others or finding others who are along the journey who can help you. But but I wrote down just a few things, and I'd like to get your opinion. Uh, certainly this is not about a Bible study. We study the right. Bible, we study the Word, but uh, entering Carmel is not about a Bible study group. It's uh, bigger than that. Yeah, much bigger yeah. than that. It's not a reading group. We've mentioned there's a number of uh, responsibilities for reading very deep texts in many cases, mm-hmm. uh, although I think we have very uh, capable instructors in the communities I'm familiar with, both Cincinnati and Dayton, uh, that help guide us through that. Nor is it a social gathering. The church right. is, is well known for social communities, and those are very important. They're a very important element of the church. Yes. This is none of those things, is it? No. It's really it's uh, some of those things, but yet it's a lot more. 
uh, our monthly meetings consist of uh, a period of formation time. Uh, we also have a business part of our meeting. And then we also get together for prayer. You know, we end up with prayer, as your community does too, and most communities do. And then there is a social aspect. So we do incorporate those those things. But we also emphasize to our um, our candidates that we're just together one afternoon a month. And the rest of the days of the month, the Holy Spirit is forming them right. in Carmel. And if they keep up with their reading, if they can do that, and if they keep up with their prayer um, and their devotion to Mary and all of the things that make up our daily rule of life, then they'll make progress. And what is that daily rule? What are the elements of the daily rule, the daily participation mm-hmm. in Carmel? And I know for many of our listeners who are um, experienced members have been in formation or uh, perhaps in Carmel for a number of years, uh, some of this is, uh, of course, covering all ground. Though I will say, it's nice to have a reminder every now and yes. then. I know for myself, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes the Lord likes to prompt my conscience with a reminder that, yes, daily Mass is actually something we ask you to participate. The daily rosary, I'll list those too. But you mentioned the devotion to Mary. I'd like to speak about that. But give us some of the elements of the daily uh, participation in Carmel that is uh, outside of that monthly meeting mm-hmm. that we attend. Okay. Well, um, I like to think of Father Aloysius Dini's description of them. He calls them the six M's. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Father Aloysius Dini is our secretary general for our communities, uh, our secular communities. He is in charge. He is in Rome, and he is under our general superior, but he is over all of the secular order communities all over the world. And he described our daily rule of life with six M's. Uh, the, the first one would be morning prayer and evening prayer, taken from the divine office. Mm-hmm. Uh, night prayer, too, if possible, you know, if we can do that before we go to sleep. Um, the second one is uh, Marian devotion, as you mentioned before, and that could be praying the rosary. It could be uh, saying the litany of Loretto. It can be, um, you know, uh, just a um, an, an consecration to Mary you know, anything like that, that would increase one's devotion to her. Of course, we did a whole show on Mary, and so I won't reiterate all the elements. We may replay it or redo it at some point, but uh, Mary really is the foundress of the order. We talk about Mother Teresa, of course, uh, St. Teresa, our our foundress, Uh, but Mary is really the foundress, and she's the benefactor, uh, and she's the guide and and, uh, uh, the the leader of the order, if you will, uh, because of... uh, of the role in um, in, in uh, you know engaging Saint Simon Stock and and uh, taking up the uh, the uh, devotion of the of the scapula and reaching back as Saint Teresa did we just explained before uh, to the history with uh, Mount Carmel uh, Mary really is the mother of our order in a very right. special way and we wear her scapular the scapular is uh, a brown scapular and it is the symbol of her protection for us and our her patronage, um, and it's to represent her mantle. Mm-hmm. So we clothe ourselves with the scapular. Yeah. Um, the other, another one of the uh, six M's is daily mass. And you mentioned that, um, and that is if possible. Um, the uh, other one, another one is mental prayer. The practice of mental prayer was Saint Teresa's particular charism. Right. Uh, and so we do that. We practice that thirty minutes a day. Um, and then, of course, we have our monthly meetings. That's another M. Uh, the monthly meetings then consist of not only the monthly meetings, but it involves our community life. It can involve Carmelite retreats. 
uh, days of recollection, um, spiritual reading formation is all part of, of that, taken up in that. And then the last one is the mission. Um, each community has an apostolate, and so participation in the apostolate of the community is also one of those very important things that we that we do. Right. Now, we also talk about, as we did a moment ago, the um, uh, significance of our participation in the order as full-fledged members of the order. And by consequence, we take uh, the same uh, uh, commitments, if, if I can for a moment, of chastity, poverty, and obedience. But we don't initially call them vows. We call them promises. Can right. you distinguish? And then we'll talk about vows in just a moment. Sure. Well, um, the promises are made to the community. When we make them, we make them to the community. Temporary promise and definitive promise. <clears throat> Excuse me. And chastity, of course, is according to our state in life as seculars. Um, poverty uh, is the practice of gospel poverty. Um, that can be a very individual type of a thing, but it really talks about, it's really about detachment. You know, um, it's kind of detached. The word detachment may have a negative connotation in our culture today, but what it means is that we put God first, and the other things in our lives come after. So we prioritize. We store up treasure in heaven, so to speak, and uh, rather than on earth. So God is number one priority, and then we have our others. I think that's a great way of describing it, and Francis and I have gone back and forth in, in trying to articulate in, in a, a way that communicates this significance of detachment, very significant in the spiritual life. But I think it is, as you describe it, a proper ordering. Um, we know as seculars, as members of families and those with responsibilities, we certainly have things we simply must do. We can't right. detach ourselves from our automobiles. They take us to work or our homes in many cases, they shield and protect us. But we have nonetheless a responsibility to put all of these things in proper alignment in relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not as easy as it sounds sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, if you do have God first, everything else does seem to just fall into place. And uh, you can, I can always tell in my own life, I can always tell when things are getting out of balance because I start getting worried, I start getting anxious about things, and... And I forget that God's first, and all these other things will be taken care of in some way. Right. So, um, so, and we also have obedience. You mentioned that. We have obedience to the teachings of the Catholic Church and also then to the superiors in Carmel. Um, and these are all practiced in the spirit of the Beatitudes. So that's what, uh, that's what our, our formation uh, uh, and our promises tend toward. Uh, a promise is more like... Um, uh, it's a giving of one's word to fulfill some action. And our promises in the secular Carmel are made to our community and to the superiors of Carmel. I have not taken vows yet, but I do plan to. Um, but the vow of chastity and obedience is an option to us after we have made our definitive promise. And that is made directly to God. So a vow is a solemn oath that's taken before God. It binds us more closely to the order so that every action we undertake then has the merit of the virtue of religion. Now, the virtue of religion, and that was something I wasn't too familiar with up until oh, about a year ago when I read about this, but that means that in union with Jesus, who merited infinitely for us by his death on the cross, 
mm-hmm. we too can merit graces for others and for ourselves by our sacrifices and sufferings. Right. So this is a way for us, you said mission, of course, a moment ago, and this is a way for us to participate in mission. Yes. It is not only that objective uh, sort of hands and feet, if you will, um, um, service to the poor or other forms of uh, missionary work, whether we're working in hospitals and schools, uh, whether we may be um, uh, teaching or whatever uh, type of outreach we do, we know that mission can also come from those very sacrifices we make as members of the order. Right. And the other thing, too, that um, your listeners need to know is that we don't practice this daily life of prayer for ourselves. It's for others. We do it for the good of the church and for the good of others. It's, it's for our own salvation, too, of course, but it's really for the good of others and the good of the church. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you a test question here, which I know you know the answer to, and I was looking for the language in your copy of the order, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the rule that I see in front of you. Um, the principal call of the rule is what? What was Albert's admonition to the monks? Their number one responsibility day in and day out. Of course, was oh, to remain in course. their cells. And remain in or near their cells in prayer all the time. Stand before the yes. living God in yes. prayer. This Just like Elijah. Just, Just like, like Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, exactly. Elijah said, um, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. And that's basically what Carmelite spirituality is about, a that's witness of God exactly. to people, the living God. People ask me that question occasionally. What is this Carmelite spirituality? I hear you talk on the radio or I... You know, see you making public presentations. I know you go to this meeting. What is this Carmelite spirituality about? I said, fundamentally, it is about standing before the living God in prayer. Well, I can't do that all day. I beg to differ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because Paul said, pray without ceasing. That's right. We so there must be a called. way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a question of a redefinition of the cell, right? Right. The cell is actually, in our case, the soul. And we have to re-enter the soul as deeply into that center as we can and stand there before the living God. Is this something we learn on the first day of formation? No. No. Does it come through, uh, you know, reading a few books? Probably not, although that can give us an intellectual grasp of it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, until you've spent time in prayer before the Lord and asked Him to reveal, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, what do you mean for me personally, individually, to stand before you and pray without ceasing until you've done that, the Holy Spirit can't reveal to you what he means for you in your life. Mm-hmm. We are literally called to stand before the Lord in our cell every day, prayer without ceasing, before the living God. That's quite right. a call. That's quite a challenge. Yes, it is. But it does manifest itself in these works, in these um, uh, you know, graces for the entire mystical body. Sure. It's not for ourselves. In right. fact, we were having a conversation uh, just before we, we got on the air about um, some of the uh, distracted, misguided, uh, confused, a teaching that rambles around in our church today about um, how the old spirituality was good for the 16th century or maybe the 19th century, but doesn't really have application today. And as I began the program uh, today, I reemphasize, as I often do, how significant, I think, the charism of Carmel is for the Church today, perhaps even more so than it was in Teresa's time. I really? wonder sometimes if she yeah. wasn't writing for, uh, for, for the future in terms of how important it would be for us to adopt the charism of contemplative 
apostolic uh, mindset in our modern world, as busy as we are, and as much as we have need for the for the Lord in our life and mm-hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I really see a need for the um, uh, for people to know about Carmelite spirituality, particularly about Saint Teresa's way of prayer, uh, her affective uh, attitude toward prayer, the love of God is is so central to her and to all of the Carmelite saints, and ex- that experiential knowledge that you talked about before, experiencing the love of God in, in prayer time is something everyone can do, and it's simply a living out of our baptismal commitment is what it is. It's nothing right. more than that. We can all do that. What do you think, uh, Debbie, for yourself personally, uh, and then we can talk maybe a little more broadly, as you've seen a number of people come into the community, you were the one who ushered me into the community, and I will forever be grateful for that. Uh, well, it's the but, Holy Spirit who did that. <laughs> I, I started well, to correct were there you. To guide. But... <laughs> you were there to guide. <laughs> okay. Um, but for yourself personally, what, what do you uh, perceive has been the most significant benefit or the most significant impact on your life in your years of Carmel and your exposure to this, uh, to this uh, order? I would, I would have to say that it has affected my life very profoundly, in a very fundamental way. Um, my Catholic knowledge that I gained previously to joining the Carmelite community has been deepened, enhanced, uh, made clear. There have been scriptures that are made clear to me when I read the scripture. I read it with a Carmelite eye. <laughs> and, and also, I, I think in my daily relationships with people, I hope that I'm more aware of practicing virtue or trying to practice virtue. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. But I I try to make an effort to do that. Um, And so I think with my family relationships, um, you know, some of my children said they have seen a difference in the the way I relate to them. Yeah, that's no small thing. Right? No, you're right. It's not. <laughs> it's not. So, you know, it has really, really, it affects every aspect of my life. Well, I want to remind our listeners, uh, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, feel free to please uh, give us a call at 1-866-333-6279. I know there are many Carmelites. We get emails and and uh, uh, communications after the show, and they're oftentimes... Uh, experiences shared about uh, somebody's uh, entry into Carmel or uh, or uh, what, what they find most significant about the teaching of a particular saint. Um, I, I want to go for just a moment to, to the other side of the equation. Of course, there are many benefits. There are many pluses to being members of Carmel. I, I myself have experienced, uh, I think, a deepening of my prayer life and awareness of the Lord, of course, it's something we're called to every day, as mm-hmm. I suspect many have. I've had my highs and lows, and of course, much of that the Lord brings us through to to uh, purify us and heal us at a very deep level. Um, and I suspect many of our listeners, especially those who have may, have may have been in Carmel for a long time, have faced obstacles, have faced trials, have faced challenges. The obvious ones, of course, the battle for daily prayer. Right. So oftentimes we say, I just can't find the time, or I... I, or I don't I feel don't like feel it. I don't feel like praying today. <laughs> right. I don't feel like the Lord's in my corner. And so um, I don't know that he wants to hear from me and probably wouldn't want to hear what I have to say based on how I feel. Uh, but there are a number of these types of obstacles. We should 
first of all, anticipate them. This is a reality of our walk in Carmel, isn't it? Yes, it's just human nature. You know, we, we've suffered from that concupiscence that we're, it was begun by Adam and Eve, our first parents, and so we, we have weaknesses in our human nature. Um, that's why St. Teresa said it's very important for us to know ourselves, to know what our weaknesses are, um, and sometimes um, that is an obstacle to prayer, maybe the lack of, of self-discipline. You know, making ourselves. I think St. Teresa said she even had to use force with herself sometimes. Um, and, you know, to do that if necessary. Um, you know, another obstacle, I think, to practicing our Carmelite spirituality could be a lack of support, perhaps from our, our spouse or our children. And that um, that can be dealt with in a few ways. You know, first of all, pray about it. That's definitely uh, you know, one of the things that we should do. Um, the other thing uh, that we can do, of course, is to talk to them about it and explain how important it is to us. Um, we can try to uh, practice as much of our prayer as we can, either maybe very early in the morning or very late at night when everybody's asleep, and we can have our quiet solitude, which I find is very helpful because I have a very busy household. I don't know about yours or about our listeners out there. Yeah, absolutely. But even with adult children... Well, we should, take, we should take our direction from the, our Lord and Savior, who uh, throughout Scripture, of course, it says he rose early in the morning and went out to pray. Mm-hmm. You know, I read an interesting uh, uh, history recently of uh, General John Pershing, Jack Pershing, uh, World War I, uh, general, famous general, uh, chief of staff of the Army. Um, and I found it interesting to uh, correlate something that he was teaching uh, to our spiritual walk. He said, always attack in the morning. Really? Because your enemy is not as prepared in the morning, and right before the sun comes up, that moment before the sun comes up, you'll find your enemy in its weakest in its weakest state. And I thought maybe that's why the Lord prayed yeah. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> he might have found his enemy in a weaker state, and we yeah. should do that. And let's be fair: our enemy is not, of course, just uh, uh, Satan and, and those who would like to uh, limit our prayer activity. Our enemy, oftentimes, is our own weakness that you brought up before, our unwillingness, our our lack of faith. These are realities in the spiritual walk, and our enemy has to be dealt with. Our, right. our uh, concupiscence and our, our lethargy at times has to be dealt with, and it sounds like uh, uh, you know, ancient battle strategy would suggest to us the best time to attack, to attack our enemy is in the morning. Yes. Uh, I always like when they call it the battle for prayer, because it is, and it's a battle that's ongoing. Yeah. There are always things in the world that we can become attached to, and before we know it, we're really putting a lot of energy and time into those things, and maybe our prayer time is suffering. You know, I shared an email. We, uh, in my family, we have a weekly email exchange for prayer requests, and then we agree to pray for each other and with each other. Um, oh, that's nice. It's an extended family uh, uh, community, so we have members in Texas and Florida and in the Midwest and up into the Northeast, actually. And we just agree to, to a particular day, a particular time that we will get together, and we pray for 30 minutes, wherever you are. Um, and I shared last week something that actually was shared with me, and that is that we all seem to be able to find time to do the work necessary to try and balance our checkbooks or to maintain our physical fitness or our, our dietary regimen or to eat. Uh, we all true. seem to be able to make time for that. But it is a challenge, a genuine challenge, to find time to pray. And we should not kid ourselves. This challenge isn't simply our own weakness. It isn't simply our own concupiscence or our um, resistance at times. Those are realities, 
But we also have an enemy who would very much like to keep us from getting on exactly. our knees. Exactly. That's we have very to be true. Aware of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to remind our listeners that you can find us on Facebook. Facebook account is Carmelite Conversations. Uh, feel free to uh, uh, in- interact with us there. Send us messages. You can give us uh, feedback through that medium. We'd be happy to uh, to to take your feedback and understand. Uh, what you like about the programming, what you'd like to see more of, or perhaps what you'd like to see less of. Um, I should remind you also that uh, in, uh, I think it's now a couple weeks, we'll be picking up on St. John of the Cross. Uh, We won't be using quite the same format that we did with St. Teresa, but we'll be covering in a larger uh, context St. John of the Cross's major teachings in the ascent of Mount Carmel and the uh, Dark Night. Deb, I, I want to thank you very much for uh, participating this evening. I know you had to drive up through uh, the traffic in Cincinnati, and uh, there was some threat of uh, weather, though we seem to have uh, have skirted that, and uh, that's good. Uh, I appreciate your taking the time. I, I do want to ask you uh, what are their last comments of wisdom you might have first for folks who may have been in Carmel for a while and are fighting that fight we just talked about. And secondly, for those who may be sitting on the sidelines tonight and wondering, is Carmel right for me? What, what advice would you give them on beginning that process? Not the mechanics of finding the community, which you've shared, and I appreciate, but what advice would you give those people who are thinking about uh, looking into Carmel? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, for those who've been in the community who are perhaps experiencing um, you know, difficulties from time to time uh, with their daily regimen, um, my advice would be to find a good spiritual director uh, I find it for me, I need another human being that I can be accountable to and someone who is good and knowledgeable about Carmelite spirituality. Um, I've often gone to Dominicans, actually, because we don't have a Carmelite uh, church, you know, in, in Cincinnati. Um, the, other, um, the other one is, um, are you talking about websites or ways uh, of no, contacting? No, just discernment, or? that process of discernment. Somebody who's thinking oh, tonight I after see. our program, uh, I think I, I might want to look more deeply into this. Yes, I... Um, well, you could check some websites out, too, and read about what it means to be in the secular order of Carmel, of uh, Discalced Carmelites. Um, you could um, just call up, you know, your local community and say, I, I would like to visit. And I would just encourage you to really visit the community, because only then can you really see and get a feel for what it is like. Right. And, of course, as always, we'd recommend prayer. Oh, definitely. Seek the Holy definitely. Spirit's guidance. Yes. And in that vein, let me close us out this evening with prayer. This is abandonment to God's providence. Our Lord and our God, into your hands we abandon our past and our present and our future. What is small and what is great? What amounts to a little and what amounts to a lot? Things temporal and things eternal. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Carmelite Conversations. And until next week, God bless.